Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is Monday, November 8th, 2021, and here with me as I watch a thunderstorm and we begin to unbox eclipse season is my friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi, April. Hello, Jen. I envy you, your thunderstorm. Oh, yeah, the rain and the thunder just started a little while ago, so our pod pals may hear that in the background as I talk. Yes. But there's not much I can do about that. And your pod pets are hearing it where you are and apparently not feeling that happy about it. Jack and Bear are on the move. I'm not sure where (laughs) Bear went. He might have gone to hide (laughs) under the bed, and I had to get Jack's biggest, puffiest bed to lay right next to me because he is unhappy. (laughs) Poor little guy. (laughs) But we begin eclipse season, don't we, April? We begin eclipse season, yes. And we'll talk about that later in this episode. But doesn't it seem like we just had eclipses? It sure does. Yeah. The end of May and beginning of June. Yeah, it was completely, seems like it was yesterday. But yes, we're getting going again. And as alert listeners to the podcast know, (laughs) eclipses are a particular passion of mine. And often at eclipse season, I do various webinars and events and things like that. This eclipse season's a little different because the only lecture I'm going to be doing on eclipses if people, you know, want to hear me talk about them is with Nadia Shaw's Synchronicity University. Nadia is a wonderful astrologer, a bright spirit. I'm so fond of her and I was really tickled that she asked me to participate in this with three or four other really terrific astrologers. Very cool. How do people find that? They can go to synchronicityuniversity.com. We'll link it in the show notes, of course. And my talk is going to be on Wednesday, November 17th at 3 p.m. Pacific and 6 p.m. Eastern time. It's very affordable, and I'll speak for about 90 minutes. So if people want to hear a little bit more about the eclipses of November and early December, that would be a good way to do it. That's great, because we've talked about eclipses on the podcast before, on Episode 5, Unboxing Eclipses. Folks can learn general info about eclipses there, but it's great that they can go somewhere also and hear about the eclipses that are coming up this season. Exactly. So that is a lot of what I'll be covering in that one. And as you say, our epic classic episode... Five unboxing eclipses. Yes. Ever timely, evergreen. One of our most listened to episodes back when we were babies. And definitely one of our most recommended episodes as well. It seems we're always sending people back to that one. That is so true. Well, what do we have coming up during this two-week period, my friend? Where should we begin? We begin with week one, the week of November 8th through 14th. Mercury and Mars join up on November 10th at 4.56 a.m. Pacific Time at 7 degrees 22 minutes of Scorpio. And then what happens is Mercury keeps moving along and squares Saturn, also on November 10th that same day, and a short while later, also on November 10th, Mars squares Saturn. So it moves to Mercury squaring Saturn at 9.04 a.m. Pacific Time at 7 degrees 39 minutes, Scorpio and Aquarius. And then Mars moves on to square Saturn that same day, 3.14 p.m. Pacific time, 7 degrees, 40 minutes of Scorpio Aquarius as well, of course. It is one heck of a day. 
Yeah, that sounds pretty big, and it will stir up the Saturn-Uranus square that we've been talking about mm-hmm. all year long. Folks can go back to episode 69 and hear more about that, Saturn and Uranus. That escalated quickly. <laughs> that was a goodie. <laughs> yeah, anytime something aspects Saturn these days, even if it's not aspecting Uranus at the same time, you still get that reverberation. It's like a trick knee. Either of those planets, Saturn or Uranus, Both Mars and Saturn are in the signs of their rulership at this time, and so they're both very strong, and they're in fixed signs, which are very stubborn. Personal determination, which is the Mars and Scorpio is at odds in some way with society's rules or sort of the rules, in quotes, of the people that you spend a lot of time around, perhaps. I always think of Mars coming together with Saturn as like being in that Seinfeld episode with Festivus and there are the feats of strength. <laughs> it's kind of Mars and Saturn. Oh, Seinfeld. <laughs> They're testing each other. They're trying to make each other stronger and our endurance and our determination are always tested when something comes into a difficult aspect with Saturn because Saturn's the great gatekeeper. And he's in charge of saying, do you really want that? Do you really want to do that? Whatever the thing is, a course of action you want to take or a thing that you want to achieve or even a thing that you want to possess and own. Saturn's job is to say, well, okay, have you really thought this through? Let's make it a little difficult for you to get it. Because if you can overcome all these tests, then we know that it's something that you really want and that's worth fighting for. So Mercury's job in all of this, I think, is about putting thoughts into action. And it's helpful, too, in defining what our boundaries are and our rules and our ideas. I think it's sort of an interesting day with the three of them playing around in that same territory and Mercury helping us get clear about what it is that we really want, which is Mars, and then all of it square Saturn and say, yeah, go for it, but don't expect it to go smoothly. And if it is meant to be and something that's right for you, you will persevere. And then Saturn normally rewards us after those kinds of aspects. The feats of strength. I have a lot of problems with you people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't remember that specific episode, but I'll have to go back and watch it. It's a classic. So much fun. Imaginary sponsor, Jerry Seinfeld. (laughs) Exactly. Imaginary sponsor, (laughs) Seinfeld. And other contemporary references with a show from the late 1980s. Everything for us goes back to the 80s. Funny show. It is. Well, what's coming up next? Jen? I'll bet you can guess what's coming up next. Could it be Moonwatch? Moonwatch! (laughs) Excellent. Play it! (laughs) Moonwatch. For this week we begin, there will of course be two Moonwatch segments, but in this first Moonwatch, we take a look at the Aquarius first quarter moon on November 11th, at 4.46 a.m. Pacific time, and this falls at 19 degrees and 20 minutes of Aquarius and Scorpio. On a couple of nice Sabian symbols, the moon is on a big white dove, a message bearer, which feels so appropriate for a moon in Aquarius, and the sun is on a woman drawing two dark curtains aside, which is one of my favorite symbols for Scorpio. 
And this is the sun in Scorpio because it is about parting the curtains, the dark curtains, pulling these things aside and looking at what's really going on. This is the first quarter moon in a lunar phase family that began with a new moon on February 11th, 2021. And then the full moon will be next August, August 11th of 2022. So always a first quarter moon in any lunar phase is about just getting into motion with something that you conceived at the new moon and actually taking a crack at it. It won't be perfect, but go ahead and take some kind of bold step in the direction of a dream or objective. I noticed that this chart features a T-square. Of course, the sun and moon are always square one another at a first quarter moon. But here the sun is opposed Uranus, and the moon is square Uranus, which creates a T-square with the moon in the middle at Aquarius there. Tell us more about that. Whenever we say T-square, I'm reminded of the T-zone on your skin. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you remember, but it was always... Clearasil. Yeah, Clearasil. Imaginary sponsor, Clearasil. <laughs> or Noxema. <laughs> and it's like there's the oily area and then there's dry areas around it or something. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with any of that. But a T-square is, you know, very dynamic and it takes the energy of a first quarter moon, which is very proactive and let's get moving with things. And it really amps it up a notch because we have Uranus involved as well. So there is a great potential for inspiration. It may be even something that you conceived of at the new moon, the most recent new moon or the new moon back in February that this harkens back to. It could be that all of a sudden you just pivot, you just change directions or strategies because of this Uranus. But it is a little bit of a high energy T-square. It's not as difficult as some, but it does say it can be hard for us to get grounded and to settle down whenever we have Uranus kind of buzzing away in the background. So with T-squares, we always, you know, look to that exit strategy, which is in the house with the sign that is not represented in the T-square. So these are all in fixed signs. It's the sun in Scorpio, opposed Uranus and Taurus, and they're square the moon in Aquarius. So the missing fixed sign is Leo. So look to the Leo house of your chart or Leo planets to help you get a little more centered and deal with things when it gets a little bit hectic or things are moving really fast. Leo does have a nice fixed energy like all these other ones and getting into some creative activity, maybe spending time with pets, anything that opens your heart, makes you feel good and happy. Seems like a good response to this. Leo. Leo. How did I miss that? I don't know. Well done, Jen. <laughs> Can't miss that. I know. Well, it's time of year that we're not getting a lot of Leo, so I'm not really thinking about it as much, I suppose. <laughs> Funny. This moon also has another T-square. It's Mercury with Mars opposed Uranus and square Saturn. So this really does bring up the Saturn-Uranus square. And with Mars and Uranus and Saturn, this is a little bit of one of those configurations that speaks to me more of potential for accidents or that sort of thing. Saturn is very physical in nature and Uranus can bring up unexpected things or things we didn't see coming. You know, Mars is very physical. 
you know, I don't want to be an alarmist about it, but especially if you're driving and these kinds of things, because mercury is also involved in this T-square, which has to do with commuting or driving. Just be extra careful, especially around the day, I would say, of this first quarter moon, maybe a couple of days either side, because what happens is we're often distracted or maybe you're taking a different route to work and you just don't know it by heart and it's easier to overlook things that can get in your way and cause problems. So it's a really high energy first quarter moon. And the idea with it always is to use the dynamic energetic qualities of this chart. And over the next week, use it to really energize you to move you in a positive direction. Next up, we have the sun trining Neptune on November 12th at 8.24 a.m. Pacific time. The sun, of course, is in Scorpio at 20 degrees, 30 minutes, and Neptune is in Pisces for a long time. A few more years yet. Pisces forever, Pisces. Pisces has never had a song. <laughs> it would be a meandering ditty. It would go far away. <laughs> Oh, that's great. So the sun at this trine is on the Sabian symbol, a soldier derelict in duty, which sounds bad, you know, turning our back on our responsibilities. But this is a trine aspect. So I'm going to look for a somewhat more positive interpretation here because the sun trine Neptune actually is a really lovely aspect. And I think what it suggests is maybe what you're seeing as your duty at work, in society, with your family, whatever it is, is not really in line with your personal beliefs or ethics, and especially your spiritual beliefs, because that's what Neptune is about. So I suppose what I would say at this sun trying Neptune is heed the call of your heart, be and do what your heart tells you. Sun trying Neptune is about aligning our sense of individual purpose, which is the sun, was something bigger than we are, something of a spiritual nature, something that puts us in harmony with all of the people around us, or the idea that we are all one. It is very much like the sun in Pisces in that way. So go ahead and if the things that you see as your duty feel really wrong to you. (laughs) You know, I think this trine is a pretty strong message to say, well, then don't do that. Then it's not a proper duty. Or you could ponder, what's your secret dream? Ooh. Secret with Scorpio, dream with the Neptune and Pisces. Mm -hmm. I would ask you what your secret dream is, Jim, but then it wouldn't be a secret anymore. (laughs) (laughs) My Scorpio planets say no thanks. I know. I've got everything. I'll Scorpio in the 12th house. Nobody would even think I had a secret dream. Maybe it's a secret even from me. It's very hard to say. Oh, my gosh. Well, the next day we have Mercury opposed Uranus, which is something that has been kind of building. And that's on November 13th at 7.57 a.m. Pacific time at 12 degrees and 25 minutes of Scorpio and Taurus. And this speaks to me of sudden breakthroughs and mental processes, inspiration, suddenly telling secrets. Ooh, Mm. I'll have to touch base with you on that day and see if I can get you to spill, (laughs) suddenly spilling some secrets, because it is Mercury and Scorpio. 
It could be somebody suddenly confides something to you, too, because that's the way oppositions work sometimes, is somebody else plays part of the aspect with you. That concludes really our week one, I think. Yeah, and I think just to point out, this brings us back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode when Mercury was squaring Saturn. We knew then that the opposition to Uranus would be coming within a few days, and here it is. And in a minute, we'll talk about Mars, which is closely following Mercury, also opposing Uranus. Yeah, because the Mercury with Saturn helped us define rules and come up with some kind of structure, and the Mercury opposed Uranus says, Okay, but sometimes we do best when we have a structure we can rebel against or transcend. I think that's sometimes how it works when a planet aspects first Saturn and then Uranus. Let's make some rules. Let's then break them. So maybe that's a little bit of what this opposition is about as well. That makes sense. Hello, my pod pals. April here. Hey, it's eclipse season. Should you be terrified? I mean, the internet, whatever you think so. I don't believe in using astrology to feed fear, but I do believe in learning from past experience. My eclipse report, followed by a moon shadow, helps you better understand your past and its influence on the present. The report includes three years of eclipses, interpreting their house placements in your chart, aspects to natal planets, and the previous years when there were eclipses at the same points in your chart. Order your report at eclipseastrology.com. And as my bonus gift to you, you'll receive my e-booklet, Five Steps to Fear-Free Eclipses. Order today, eclipseastrology.com. That's eclipseastrology.com. Over and out. What do we have coming up in week two? Week two begins with November 15th and ends with November 21st, and we have the sun making a couple of aspects. Mm-hmm. First, it squares Jupiter on November 15th at 11.58 a.m. Pacific time. The sun's at 23 degrees, 40 minutes Scorpio, and Jupiter is over there in Aquarius. And the next day, we know that the sun moves about a degree every day. It sextiles Pluto on November 16th at 1.01 p.m. Pacific time. Now it has moved to 24 degrees, 43 minutes Scorpio, and it's sextiling Pluto in Capricorn. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this. Well, it's hard ever to conceive of a downside of anything with Jupiter. And I always do say if you have to have squares, squares to Jupiter are the way to go, because there's always going to be something positive that comes from them. But Sun square Jupiter can be also about overdoing it about biting off more than you can chew, about doing things in excess, shopping too much, eating too much, drinking too much, celebrating too much. So it can be a little bit much. And my picture always is of Wiley Coyote, who (laughs) runs off the cliff and you see him just sort of pedaling in midair. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) boom, he goes down. Chasing that roadrunner. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) and then the sun sextile to Pluto. Sextiles are a much different kind of aspect, of course, than a square. A square is a little more emphatic. A sextile offers us an opportunity or a message or choice. And this is the choice to take power, to be empowered, rather than to cede control of our lives to anybody else. That's my general idea of sun sextile Pluto. It's not a super serious aspect. It only, again, lasts for a day or so. 
on November 16th, maybe the 15th and the 17th, you'll feel it a little bit. And I don't mean to ever play down Pluto because that's a very powerful planet, but a sextile is a little more optional. So I think there was a message of power coming in. It could be that you hear from somebody, you're approached by somebody powerful who makes an offer to you and you get to decide if that's something that's right for you or not. But the whole idea always with the sun and Pluto is to strip down to the essentials of who we are and to stand in our power as an individual, as the sun. Pluto likes to say, you're a small cog in a very big machine. It's to give us perspective on the smallness of our individuality. But I think that we also always have to acknowledge the sovereignty of our individuality as well. And say, yes, I'm a small cog, but I'm the only cog of this kind. And I have a very particular function to provide. What do we have up next, pal? Mars is opposing Uranus. Like we just said a minute ago, we knew this was coming. It's happening November 17th at 9.23 a.m. Pacific time at 12 degrees, 15 minutes of Scorpio and Taurus. The conjunction for this when this cycle began was January 20th, 2021, and that was episode 65, Mars, Uranus, and revisiting the U.S. Pluto return. Right, because that was the day before the inauguration, the presidential inauguration here in the U.S. We were all pretty tense Mm -hmm. with that Mars-Uranus conjunction, and we weren't quite sure how that was going to play out, given what had taken place a couple of weeks before. Right. Well, now we're at the halfway point in that cycle, and... Again, the way oppositions work is sometimes it is something that is comes to us through another person or through a relationship. So someone might inspire you to take some kind of unexpected or unusual action because action is a Mars word and Uranus is something that's unexpected or not your usual way of going through the world. That can be sort of fun. It doesn't have to be something terrible, but much depends on what you did with the Mars-Saturn aspect last week on November 10th. That's a, a struggle to, again, create some kind of structure for doing things. And now Mars-Uranus says, okay, in what ways are we going to stick with that plan and in what crucial ways might we want to change it up a little bit? Suddenly, we can be very decisive. Mars is a planet that is very decisive. It says, I'm going to do this whether it's well-considered or not. And it probably is at this point because, of course, Mars has squared Saturn, so it had time to really think things through. But suddenly here at the Mars opposition to Uranus, Uranus makes energy that has been bound up suddenly be freed. So it is a time when if you have been really thinking about something, deliberating about something, talking yourself out of doing something, now might be the time that suddenly... You go, oh, what the heck? And you throw off the shackles and you get to work. This can also be a signifier of protests or people getting out and uh, demonstrating about some particular cause. So we might see something in the news of that nature around the time of this aspect as well. Right on. And while we're on the subject of Uranus. Yes. We have Venus trine Uranus the next day. On November 18th at 10.08 p.m. Pacific Time, 12 degrees and 12 minutes, Capricorn and Taurus. And this is a goodie because Venus and Uranus, on the face of it, would seem to have very little in common. Venus wants to be cuddly and 
is relationship-oriented, and Uranus kind of likes to be free and do its own thing. But when we bring them together in something like a trine, we have the potential to really love something that's unusual, which is nice. Or there are unexpected developments in relationship. That can be somebody new. If you've been hoping for a relationship, it could just suddenly appear. It can also mean that a relationship you have seen as a friendship might take a little more of a romantic turn. That happens sometimes as well. This also would have some significance for money, because Venus rules money. So this can be, oh, a sudden windfall, maybe. It's usually of a positive nature, because it's a trine. I always go back to just a very small little thing that happened. But one day, a student of mine, when I was still teaching in my house, showed up and she brought a beautiful, you know, cup of coffee with her for me, a latte, and very small little gesture. But look, I mean, I still remember. It's probably been three, four years. And it was just so thoughtful and really nice and unexpected. That can also be the nature of Venus trying Uranus. It's a very fast aspect. It's not usually really substantive, but enjoy it. Enjoy it on this day. For sure. Now, Jen, guess what time it is? What time is it? It's time for another moon watch. A second moon watch. <laughs> Play it again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dear friends, and what a moon watch this will be. It is a Taurus full moon and lunar eclipse, and we are going to tell you all about it. But first, we want to introduce you to a brand spanking new, seasonally appropriate, non-imaginary <laughs> sponsor, The Witches Are Watching Podcast. <laughs> April, do you like to watch horror movies? I do not, Jen. I am a real scaredy cat. Yeah. Well, when I was a little bitty kid... My big brother, who's 10 years older than me, decided to bundle us up. He was babysitting us one Friday or Saturday night. Mm -hmm. And he decided to bundle me and my sister, who wasn't a lot older. I must have been like six or seven. He bundled us in the back of the family station wagon and took us to the drive-in movie theater to see Night of the Living Dead. <laughs> and there were zombies, so many zombies. <laughs> and you were six, seven years old? Yes! <laughs> It was too much zombie, is all I could say. Oh. And I can watch a funny horror movie, mm -hmm. but not real hardcore scary movies. What about you? I can watch some, but not the super scary ones. Mm -hmm. And of course, there is a reason that I'm asking you this, April, which is what? Well, because our sponsor, the Witches Are Watching podcast, on this show, the hosts, Julia and Karen, talk about how horror films and sometimes TV series, sometimes they get those in there too, can act as roadmaps in exploring our psyches. So they use these horror stories as their guide. They use the archetypes and the themes to uncover the shadows lurking in our subconscious. And they share ways to bring them into the light, which is a really terrific way to work with this genre. Mm -hmm. It still scares me, but I have seen a few of the movies that they've covered on the podcast. They cover Beetlejuice, which we both just listened to that episode. 1980s. Woohoo! I know. We're all about that. <laughs> and also An American Werewolf in London, which I think is the 80s as well. They did that. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, you'd like it. Yeah. That one's really good, but it's creepy. Okay. 
The Silence of the Lambs, It, Chapters 1 and 2, Hannibal, the series, Get Out, which I've never seen, but I've heard such great things about. I'm not going to watch it because it's scary. There could be zombies for all I know. There could be zombies. You never know. I'm not watching them. The Lost Boys and lots of other stuff. The witches also produce mini episodes in which they create tarot spreads inspired by the themes and archetypes of the movies from the main episodes. So if you've ever wondered what wisdom Pennywise, Hannibal, or Beetlejuice might offer you, they have these tarot spreads to find out. Which is super innovative. It's cool. I thought that was clever. Yeah. And they kind of do them from the point of view of these main characters. So if you like horror and tarot, and tarot, if you love tarot, if you like conversations about the shadow and the psyche and feminism, uh-huh. or if you're like me and you just love to hear two friends chatting about something they're passionate about, you should really have a listen. You follow them wherever you got this podcast, you know, wherever you get podcasts. And you can find their social media and email links at their website, thewitchesarewatching.com. And if you're interested in underwriting a future Moonwatch segment, we would love to talk to you about it. And how should folks get in touch with us, pal? They can email me, april at bigskyastrology.com. That's a good place to start. All right. That's perfect. And thanks to Karen and Julia for sponsoring Moonwatch. We really appreciate it. And I love that a podcast is sponsoring a podcast. I love that as well. And oh gosh, I love their theme music. I love their logo, the whole vibe of the show. I love the cat Phoebe that makes an appearance every now and then. Well, you know, we love that. (laughs) We know we love us a pod pet. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So tell us about this moon watch, pal. Well, we have a Taurus full moon, which is a lunar eclipse. This is on November 19th, just after midnight. The witches are watching. (laughs) at 12.57 a.m. Pacific time at 27 degrees and 14 minutes of Taurus with the sun at the same degrees of Scorpio. The Sabian symbols for this one, the moon is on a woman pursued by mature romance, which we've talked about before. And one of my favorites, the sun in Scorpio on the king of the fairies approaching his domain. I think we've talked about that one also. We have. It's very fanciful. It's nice. Yeah, it's very cute. This is the first eclipse that we'll have in the Taurus and Scorpio eclipse series. And that will play out through October 2023. This starts a really important period for all of us, doesn't it? Right. Since the eclipses have been in Gemini and Sagittarius and moving into Taurus and Scorpio is kind of a big deal. It really is. The nodes of the moon, which are associated with the eclipses, will still be in Sagittarius and Gemini for a short while longer. But we do have these eclipses are starting out at the very end of Taurus with Scorpio. It is going to be a really interesting shift. The eclipses in Gemini and Sagittarius have encouraged us to really look at what we believe, what is true, to try to gather more information and take a more informed approach to the world. Eclipses move backwards in their orbit. So as they move backwards into the signs of Taurus and Scorpio, the north node of the moon is eventually going to move into Taurus and the south node is in Scorpio. So It is very much a polarity that, number one, is very financial, so we'll probably see some interesting things developing in the economy over the next uh, year and a half or so. I think with the South Node in Scorpio, and this is a little bit about releasing some of that dark scorpionic imagery, one thing that's been happening a lot over the last couple of years is 
conspiracy theories have really, really taken over. And I always think of that as a little bit of a negative expression of Scorpio, trying to see things which may or may not be there, because Scorpio rules the non-physical world. It's like things that are still real a lot of the times, but that don't really manifest themselves on the physical plane. So it's a sign of magic, and it's a sign of psychology. It's a sign of hidden secret things, which is great. We don't vilify it. We don't say, you know, get it completely out of our lives. But when the south node starts to move there, when we have eclipses moving this polarity, they're trying to move us away from the Scorpio way of seeing things and a little more towards Taurus. And Taurus to me is always like very what you see is what you get, taking things at face value, enjoying the simple pleasures of life. We'll see how that goes. We'll see how it manifests. It's been 18 years since we last had eclipses where the North Node was in Taurus and the South Node was in Scorpio. We had other eclipses in these signs nine years ago, but it was flipped. Scorpio was at the North Node. Taurus was at the South Node. The most recent eclipses, actually, that we had at this point Most recently, May 20th, 2012, we had a solar eclipse at zero degrees of Gemini, which is just a few degrees from this. We had a lunar eclipse on November 20th, 2002 at 27 Taurus. We had a lunar eclipse November 18th of 1994 at 25 degrees and 42 minutes of Taurus. And way back in 1985, when Jen and I were bopping to the hits of the 80s, we had a solar eclipse on May 19th, 1985, at 28 degrees and 50 minutes of Taurus. And, you know, all the way back. But I'm just going back to the 80s because that's where the world began as far as Jen and I are concerned. And, of course, if people want to hear what we were listening to in 1985, they can listen to episode 85, where we went through the hits of the 80s, episode 80 to 89. Oh, my gosh, you're so (laughs) right. I wonder what our big hits were that we were grooving on that year. Something fantastic, I'm sure. We love the 80s. But on a more mundane level, These are years when you can go back, May 2012, November 2002, November 1994, May 1985. List those on a piece of paper and just start the process of thinking through what was happening in your life during these years. Maybe you were a person who was just getting born during some of these years. Maybe big things were happening in your life. Maybe not so huge, but if you have planets in your birth chart or the ascendant or the midheaven, around 24 degrees through 29 degrees of a fixed sign, Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, or Aquarius, this could be an important eclipse sequence for you. And if you go back to these years and think about if anything significant happened then, it won't be exactly the same thing that happens again, but the same areas of your chart are being impacted. So it can be helpful to anticipate and get ready for this eclipse season. Eclipse seasons are about change. And they're about the ways we willingly change and the ways we unwillingly change. They're a bit Uranian in nature. So forewarned is forearmed. And just really thinking about what's happened before, how you might have managed it differently if you had it to do over. And it has to do with the nature of the houses of your chart that Taurus and Scorpio fall in, the late degrees of the signs, and also any planets that you have in these fixed signs. 
could be interesting to go back and think about those. Absolutely. Well, what's the last thing coming up, April? Finally, we have the sun entering Sagittarius on November 21st, 6.34 p.m. Pacific time. It will be in that good sign through December 21st, around which time we'll be bringing you, those of you who donated to the Podathon or have donated since to the podcast, a special episode. Yeah, totally. For the Capricorn Solstice. During the time that the sun is in Sagittarius, the sun will make mostly easy aspects to other planets. It will, however, square Neptune on December 11th. That will be its one bump in the road. But overall, this is an adventuresome, celebratory sign for the sun. Now, there will be an eclipse also (laughs) in the sign, which, you know, changes the message a little. But overall, the sun in Sagittarius really favors feasting and shopping and visiting family all the lovely things we like to do towards the end of November here in the U.S. as we celebrate Thanksgiving yeah, and pie. Oh, pie. Oh, so much pie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So just look at the Sagittarius house or houses of your chart and see what is coming into focus for you and where you have an opportunity to do some of this celebrating and do things that are a little different and have some small or even large adventure. Experience no vistas. Yeah, exactly so. Well, my dear friend, I believe we've made it to the end of this seemingly never-ending show sheet. Have we done it? We have finished this very long four-page show sheet, (laughs) and we are closing the door on episode 102. Oh, goodness. Thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, and we fervently hope that you do, be sure that you follow us on Apple Podcasts, that you rate and review wherever you listen to the show, and we hope that you'll help us spread the word by telling a friend. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. We're so grateful to everyone who showed support during our recent Podathon. Of course, each week we thank some of you by name. Who do we have this week, April? This week we are giving a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout out to donors Tammy Van Olsen, Barbara Parrott, and Julie Scordato. Tammy, Barbara, Julie, we really do appreciate you. We thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting us with your donations. Thanks to you three. If you missed Podathon and would like to support the show, please go to our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. And if you donate $5 or more, we'll send you the special episode that we put together for the Libra Equinox, as well as our upcoming Capricorn Solstice episode that April mentioned a minute ago. Of course, you'll also get our hilarious bingo card. That is it for us this episode. Please join us again bright and early in two weeks' time. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you.